Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. Today we want to talk about something that I didn't know much about before I started researching for this, and now I want to know a lot about it because it's an important topic. Electromagnetic, electromagnetic pulse, uh, EMP, which can be caused either by nature or by man, poses an existential threat to our electronic civilization. A nationwide blackout lasting one year could kill millions, up to 90% of the American people through starvation, disease, and societal change. Moreover, EMP, as it's called, is the ultimate cyber weapon, weapon in the military doctrines and plans of Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. Joining me to discuss these very alarming issues are Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, Executive Director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security, and the author of the newly released the Power and Light, the Congressional EMP Commission, War to Save America, 2001 to 2020, which can be found on Amazon. Uh, he also served as the Congressional EMP Commission Chief of Staff and with the Congressional Strategic Posture Commission, House Armed Services Committee, and the CIA. Also joining me is my frequent collaborator and friend, Frank Gaffney. He was Assistant Secretary of Defense under President Reagan. Uh, and founder of the Center for Security Policy and vice chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Frank, Peter, welcome. Peter, you've done a lot on electromagnetic pulse. What is electronic magnetic, let me get it out here. Oh, well, <laughs> easy for <laughs> you to say. Electro, you've been saying electromagnetic pulse. Yes, that's right. Okay. Uh, well, an electromagnetic pulse or an EMP is uh, in terms of the physics, is basically a distortion in space-time, you know, which is basically what a radio wave is, uh, you know, except an EMP is very much like a radio wave, uh, except that it's got so much energy in it. It's like a, think of it as a super energetic wa radio wave with so much energy that it will actually destroy electronics, and it can destroy electronics across the vast region. In the case of the natural EMP threat from the sun, it can cause electric grids and uh, and electrical uh, critical infrastructures to collapse all over the world. You know, the EMP would be so vast that it would affect the entire planet. A nuclear weapon, you know, detonated above the United States, so high up in outer space that you wouldn't even hear the blast or the explosion. There'd be no other effects, no radioactive fallout, no radiation reaching the surface of the Earth, just the EMP. But that EMP would be enough to destroy electronic systems across an entire continent in, uh, across all 48 contiguous United States, uh, most of Canada, and a good chunk of Mexico with a single weapon. And then there are non-nuclear EMP weapons, you know, that are, can be actually purchased uh, almost by anyone. And you don't even need a license but to per uh, purchase some sort of non-nuclear EMP devices that can be used as weapons. And we have developed, and other countries all over the world have developed non-nuclear EMP weapons. They're, the radius of effect is not so great. But if you had a team of, of terrorists or special forces guys uh, carrying uh, nine or ten of these things to critical points of the North American grid, again, you could collapse the whole electrical grid 
without a nuclear EMP weapon, just using these non-nuclear well, EMP well, devices. Well, well, the naturally occurring ones, uh, solar superstorm, I mean, it's a, is a sun's, what's the term for what the sun does when it explodes and causes It's a this? coronal mass ejection. Basically, it's a big chunk of the sun that comes flying out of a sunspot. It's, uh, you know, and millions of degrees of ionized plasma traveling uh, more than a million miles an hour in case in the case and, of a solar and, and this is something that happened here in 1859 that's right uh, you know it's the uh, most powerful solar superstorm we know of happened uh, you know back in 1859 there probably have been more powerful ones than that but it's the most powerful one we have on record and we know about it chiefly because uh, uh, just at the dawn of the electrical age we were not we're not yet in electrical electrical civilization, but electronic devices like this, which is a telegraph key from that period of 1859. And these devices were all over the world on every continent except Antarctica. Everywhere the colonial powers built a railroad, they would string telegraph cables and put up a telegraph system. So they were everywhere in Asia, Europe, uh, North and South America, and all over the world uh, as a consequence of the 1859 Carrington event. Uh, the telegraph systems not only failed, but failed catastrophically. A key like that, and even your viewers can probably see what a clunky, crude piece of electronics well, that is. Yeah, the keys actually melted. The wooden bases caught on fire. Telegraph stations burned down. And this happened to the whole system? Everything. Yeah, around. it happened everywhere in the world. And the uh, there were forest fires from yeah. telegraph uh, wires bursting into flames. And we had just laid the transatlantic cable in 1859, connecting North America to Europe. And the pulse was so powerful, it reached miles down into the Atlantic Ocean and, and damaged that cable, destroyed that cable. It took until 1869 to, uh, to, to run the cable again. And the point is, you know, this is an easy way of illustrating how vulnerable we are. Because, you know, we were in the horse and buggy days back then. We were not yet an electronic civilization. And so civilization didn't come to an end because survival didn't depend upon the electronic systems. But if something like this is the, could be destroyed all over the planet. Just think about our modern microelectronics, which operate on tiny voltages compared to this. And they're not nearly as robust as a telegraph key. In fact, modern microelectronics are literally a billion times, with a B, a billion times more vulnerable to this natural EMP phenomenology than the telegraph keys of 1859. Frank, you've been following this for years. Uh, how 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 pervasive is knowledge that this problem or this threat exists? Well, I have a confession to make. I've learned most of what I know about it from Dr. Peter Vincent Pry. So my experience has uh, largely been informed by what he's taught me. And uh, one of the things that he's impressed upon me and that I've subsequently learned a lot about is that parts of our country know a lot about this and have for decades. In fact, when I was in the Pentagon, I think this was my first exposure to electromagnetic pulse because it was at the time a very closely held secret. It was a matter of national security survival that we protected critical weapon systems and communication devices this was against the this Pentagon. EMP. It was held, it was held as in, in Yeah, secret. I have a, a fascinating story. Peter and yeah. I both have as a friend, Senator Bob Hall of Texas, who we first met, thanks to Peter, when he and I went down to brief the Texas state legislature about this problem and the imperative need for Texas, which has the advantage of having its own electric grid, to take steps to protect it. Well, it turns out Peter ran into this 
senator by the name of Bob Hall from East Texas. And uh, he said, um, I need to tell you about this. And it turned out the fellow knew a lot about it because back when he was a young captain in the Air Force in the early 1960s, he was one of the guys who was put in charge of an emergency effort to protect what was then the state of the art of our nuclear forces, our Minuteman II missile systems, against EMP, which had just been discovered by a friend and colleague of ours by the name of William Graham. So this has been known about so, for a long time. So, so, DOD so has was, worked so, to protect so us the, against so, it. So was the, the EMP, society, EMP so discovered? I mean, in 1859, did anybody know what was happening? Or well, was this something that we, in the last 30, 40 years, have figured out what causes it, but then we also figured out how we can cause it? Uh, we've, the, it's a complicated story, which is actually in the book, The Power and the Light. But uh, uh, the Carrington event, the astronomer Carrington, uh, they didn't know about the electromagnetic pulse phenomena, you know, uh, uh, the connection between what had happened. One of the things Carrington knew, he knew that something had happened that caused an aurora borealis that was so intense that you could read newspapers by the light in mm. London, all right? And this was the case all over the world. But it, uh, it wasn't until uh, much later that people made the connection between the, the fact that, of the failure of the telegraph systems and the, Carrington, uh, and, the, and the Carrington event. And as a matter of fact, we knew about the nuclear EMP phenomena before we knew about the catastrophic consequences of a, of a super energetic solar flare. And as a matter of fact, our friend and colleague, the free world's foremost expert on EMP, is Dr. William Graham. He was actually a young defense scientist who was at uh, the, uh, he, he was responsible for participating in the defense science team that discovered the EMP phenomena after the 1962 Starfish Prime high-altitude nuclear burst. You know, uh, the lights went out on Hawaii. There was all kinds of damage to electronic systems, and people didn't know why. This was in the 1962 as a result of the Starfish Prime. So Graham and other of our Albert Einstein-level type scientists went to look at that. And... I was actually present at the, at the discovery of the idea that the sun could also pose a catastrophic consequences because it was Dr. Graham who came up with that. You know, he, along the way, I mean, this is the quality of mind you're talking about with Dr. Graham. In addition to having figured out and laid the foundations for EMP science, later on he went, went on to become President Reagan's White House science advisor and also ran NASA. Mm -hmm. And while he was in running NASA, he became aware of these solar storms and, and the rest. And when the EMP commission was meeting, he was pacing back in front, uh, in front of the, uh, the commission in front of a blackboard and, he ended and said, you know, we've been tasked to look at the nuclear EMP threat to our country. But you know, Mother Nature can also cause this. And every 100, 150 years or so, there's going to be something like another carrying. Aren't, aren't the odds something like 10 to 12% per decade? That's right, 12% Twelve percent per decade. Have, has, have, has had one has one happened since 1959? Oh, we we have we have uh, we have uh, so solar storms happen every year. Yeah. Okay. But the, the big ones, you know, the ones that could pose a civilizational conflict, they happen about once a century. Uh, we were uh, we we were narrowly missed on July 23rd, 2012, uh, by a Carrington class coronal mass ejection. It missed the Earth by about three days. And that's when NASA sat down and said, well, we'd better figure out what the likelihood is. And they came up with their best guess was 12% per decade. 
which means we're overdue for one. Yeah, I was going to say our time Seriously, is uh, we're, we're on yeah, the other side of the problem. That's an extraordinarily high level of, uh, of risk. It virtually guarantees that within our lifetimes, or no later that of our grandchildren, the Earth is going to get hit by one of these. So if, if this happened with this kind of intensity again now, what would the impact be? The impact would be catastrophic. Uh, power grids would collapse all over the world. Uh, and all of those life-sustaining critical infrastructures, telecommunications, transportation, business finance, even food and water, depend directly or indirectly upon electricity. And uh, advanced electronic civilization in, in the whole world, even in African countries, depend upon electricity now for the survival of so, their people. So, so banking goes down, funds transfer goes down, fuel pipelines go down, the whole, the whole thing. Immediately, there's no water. You know, people can't get water. Yeah. How do you sustain a population of 330 million people with no water? We only have enough food to feed 330 million people in this country for 30 days. And it will begin to spoil as soon as the electricity fails because of the temperate control systems and refrigerators. You know, this goes so, back to what Peter was saying a moment ago, Bill. When that happened, people were largely unaffected by it because they weren't dependent upon all of these technologies. Right. They knew how to grow food. This is, this is the other piece of this. The number of us that would be actually in a position to try to fill the gap Not of many. food production, let alone know what to do about it, yeah. is trivially small. So you would see mass starvation. And as you said at the outset, and this is so worrying because look at what's happening in America right now with violent disorder and mayhem in lots of cities across this country. Imagine if that were fueled by a desperate need for food or water or shelter of some kind. So, so the things that we need to, I need to understand is, okay, so we've got a natural occurring risk, naturally, and there are things we can do to help mitigate that in terms of our infrastructure and our grid. Yes. But then we've also got, you've just written a terrific report called China, the EMP right. threat, and then we've got aggressive state actors who would love to create an event if they could and get away with it. So we've got, we've got to defend against that, and, but they also need to protect the grid in, in either event. That's right. Yeah, I wrote that report as sort of sending up a flare because right now we're actually standing on the threshold of a potential China EMP event, and we're so preoccupied with the chaos in our streets that people aren't paying attention to what's happening with China. Well, the uh, China... Uh, doesn't regard the use of a nuclear weapon to make an EMP attack as a nuclear war. They, they consider it, as do the Russians, the Iranians, and the North Koreans, as a form of gray zone aggression, like cyber warfare, okay, or electronic warfare. In their doctrine, that's where it's categorized. And in this March, uh, you know, China, a group of, a team of Chinese military experts got together to say, to explore what could we do to stop the United States from showing the flag in the South China Sea challenging our sovereignty to the South China Sea. And they said, overtly, in March, well, one of the things we could do is an EMP attack in an aircraft carrier group. It would, it would fry uh, the, all the ships, but it wouldn't kill anybody, you know, because the pulse, you know, wouldn't, uh, uh, only destroys the electronics. And so that would be something short of kinetic warfare that we could do. And now we have two aircraft carriers getting ready to show the flag in the biggest way we've ever done in the South China Sea to challenge their sovereignty which is why I wrote that report, to just remind the powers that be yeah. that China's been planning for an EMP attack both against our carriers and against the U.S. homeland for more than a quarter century. And 
The report is largely one, quotes one, just from China's China's military doctrine. One moment. We're watching. You're watching the Bill Walton show. I'm here with uh, Peter Vincent Pry and Frank Gaffney, and we're talking about the electromagnetic pulse and both the natural occurring pulse and also the man-made ones, and both of which we need to worry a lot about. Uh, but coming back to the Chinese, the Ch you cited some reports in, in, in this. They were thinking about this in the late 1990s. I mean, yes. they, they, said, they said aircraft carriers are terrific. They're easy to spot, and they're totally dependent on electronic systems. And so for EMP, it's a, it's a sitting duck. Right. Unfortunately, this is part of the litany of different ways that they figured out and wrote in a published book called Unrestricted Warfare about for taking down the United States without going to full-on kinetic warfare with us at a moment when they weren't strong enough to do that. But you look at that list, Bill, um, and our friend Kevin Freeman, uh, who's appeared on your program before, has really studied this closely. They've been working through that checklist, whether it's economic warfare, whether it's now, I would argue, going back to a point you made a moment ago, civil strife in our streets, or whether it's electromagnetic pulse, um, these are things that are not simply possible lines of attack against us by the Chinese Communist Party, but I believe ones that are operational, in some cases, actually used already. I want to come, I want to keep going with China. I, st I still want to, China, I still want to lay kind of the foundation of when we understood this power that it has uh, and bringing us up current and what we've done subsequently as a country, and, and you write a lot about the uh, bureaucratic infighting among the agencies, and we've identified a problem, and yet, and this is alarming, and yet a lot of people's eyes roll. They say, oh, the electromagnetic, you know, the EMT, you know, that, that's nothing. Now, what are we up against here in terms of making people understand that this is real and that there are uh, the risks we've got we've to mitigate? Well, it's, it's still a really serious problem, the fact that, uh, you know, this is probably the, the greatest existential threat that our civilization faces, you know, because it is so easily executed. Even terrorists who could get their hands on a single nuclear weapon you know, could use a meteorological balloon to, to do this. And yet it is still one of the least understood uh, threats. And one of the things we're also working against is an uphill battle against the very powerful electric power industry. You know, the utilities, the electric utilities, they're the last critical infrastructure that basically regulates themselves. And they have, they're against protecting against cyber warfare, against physical sabotage, against EMP. Uh, when uh, they've been losing the battle, I mean, the handful of experts that have been pursuing this for 20 years, that's why the subtitle of my book is The Congressional EMP Commission's War to Save America, because it has literally been a, a war of ideas and a war of activism just like we had during the Cold War, a war of theories to try to convince people that look at, you've got to deal with this threat. The science mm -hmm. supports this threat. But groups like the Electric Power Research Institute will put out junk science studies. They're a, a lobby for the electric power industry. NERC is the, is the biggest of them, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. They have more than $150 million a year to spread around in lobbying, and which they do, and to put out bogus studies that, have, that, that play down the EMP threat, and say, oh, it's not that serious. Then when they lose that argument, they'll say, well, we're the real EMP experts because we control the grid, so trust us. We will take care of the problem. 
And where does some of that money come from for these some, utility and 40% of the research budget for EPRI, for example, comes from foreign sources, including Russia and, and China. China. And exactly. China. Yeah, China. What could possibly yeah. go wrong? Here, here you have countries that have every interest in keeping us vulnerable to a sort of attack that they can envision using decisively to take us down and possibly do so without being tagged for it or, or having retaliation against them. And they're able to influence us by using our own lobbying operations to try to keep us in that state. It's, it's just unbelievable. But this is part of what this war has been about. And I want to salute Peter Pry as one of the unsung heroes in this war. Nobody has done with his writings, with his interviews, with his public speeches, with his advocacy more, nobody, than Peter Pry to raise awareness about mm -hmm. this problem and to make clear how huge the stakes are. Well, how much, Thank in the industry's case, we've got a, a case of, of, of regulatory capture where yes. the regulators Absolutely. are, it's a revolving door Classic between case. the industry. And the, and the industry's agenda is mainly economic. They don't want to spend the money for the backup or the whatever it is that we need to do to, to mitigate this. I'm not sure. Or is their agenda something else? Tell them a story I, about our meeting with. Yeah, I, th I think the agenda has more to do with power than it does have to do with money, because it wouldn't really cost that much to protect uh, uh, the national electric grid. But we had a meeting. I think with you said two billion dollars, three billion dollars. Two to two to four billion. Two yeah, to four what billion. The MP Commission estimated yeah. back in 2008 to protect the, uh, uh, the the national power system. Probably 10 to 20 billion if you wanted to protect all of the critical infrastructures. But that wouldn't be taxpayer money, by the way. You know, one of the uh, it, it, it would be done painlessly. Uh, you know, there's, and we have as a society proven that we can already protect ourselves against EMP because there is a kind of other natural EMP that almost everything is protected against called lightning. In the EMP world, this is called E2 EMP. It's a mid-frequency kind of a phenomena. And almost everything uh, electronic these days is designed to survive lightning. It's got a little surge arresters in it, even a personal computer on your desk. And how was that done? It was done by adopting best practices and, and engineering the lightning protection right into the electronic systems. So we don't even think about it anymore. You know, the cost gets absorbed as, as the cost of manufacturing. It only adds 1% to 6% to the cost to harden something against nuclear and natural EMP, 1% to 6%. But, but, so let's stay with the no, industry pushback to do something no, about it. Go ahead, Frank. This, this is really relevant to the point. Yeah. Peter and I visited with the fellow who oh, at the yeah. time was the director of uh, the president, I guess, of something called the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. And Peter, I'll never forget it, Peter put the question to him right out of the box. What did you say? Yeah, I asked him, uh, what if the Department of Defense paid for this? Because the Department of Defense would have tremendous interest. So two to four billion dollars, that's, that's nothing in, the, in their, in their budget. Money. And, but it would guarantee that their 100 military bases in CONUS would continue to operate if they would harden the grid. And Jerry turned that down. He said, no, we still wouldn't do it. And so I don't think it's chiefly the money. I think they don't want what would come with, the, with uh, they don't want the inspections that would come. They don't want the oversight that would come with government. They want to continue to regulate themselves and be opaque and not transparent to the regulatory organizations. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons for that, you can see happened last year in California, all right? The California wildfires you know, were caused because the electric power industry is so irresponsible, not only aren't they protecting things against EMP and cyber, but they're not even protecting against, like, the Santa Ana winds that can knock down 100-year-old power line towers and cause forest fires 
that kill hundreds of people and wipe out whole towns. They had rolling blackouts over California trying to anticipate where the winds were going to be high enough to endanger power line towers, nor were they uh, even implementing such common sense, simple things as vegetation management by cutting down trees and branches. So, and these are things that the regulatory uh, system is supposed to already require them to do, okay, by NERC and FERC, but they got away with it for years. Killed, and what was their final solution? What was their plan, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, their, their plan to evade responsibility for all this was to declare bankruptcy so that they couldn't be sued by the state or by individuals uh, and families who had lost their lives. That's what you're dealing with. So the grid is owned privately throughout the United States? Yes, 3,000 utilities, yeah. 3,000 utilities, there, and, there and, and, and technically, public. what is the grid? It's, it's power stations, it's the connecting lines, it's... Uh, right, the generators, the extra high-voltage transformers, and the control systems are the, are the three big, you know, what, most important What's the value of our investment in the grid? Oh, it's probably... Uh, I'd, I'd guess it's probably about a trillion dollars yeah. at least. And, and that's, Texas that's is the, the only one that's not part of the, we're all interconnected. It has its own. It has its, Texas own, has its own covering group. largely the state of Texas. But here's okay. the thing, Bill. That's what we started with. You know, it essentially came about when a couple of neighborhoods were electrified. And then everybody wanted some of it. And ultimately we got to rural areas. But it grew like topsy and not in the most efficient, certainly not in the most standardized way. What's on op an option today, which I think is clearly part of the solution here, we've got to do what we can to protect the grid we have, for sure. That investment is incalculably big and vitally needed, as we've discussed. But we also have the option of microgrids, which enable us to get away from some of the real vulnerabilities, like the electric transformers, these huge high-voltage transformers, yes. and these big power lines. And one of the things that Peter and the EMP Commission have recognized is this kind of orderly migration to alternative means of getting power to people's homes and businesses is obviously part of the deal, too. But we've also got to get to the point where we can survive until those alternatives are available to us. Yes, right. Uh, one of my ideal, one of my ideal solutions long term, but you know, the commission's recommendations is we've got to protect the grid that exists. All right, and I, you know, I certainly agree with that. But we can do better than this current big grid, you know, which is uh, almost designed so that it's ideally vulnerable to EMP phenomena. But one of my ideal solutions in the way of microgrids would be small modular nuclear reactors. Okay. The technology is there. It's available to us. Uh, this would break Feel up the safe. big grid. We could, we could evolve away from the big grid. Every city could have its own independent power source, basically. And it would also change the politics of, uh, of, of electric ener energy in a way so that it uh, is much more responsive to the people. Do you know the customers, the consumers uh, who consume electricity when NERC and FERC and all these guys to get together to talk about uh, regulation? The people who actually pay the bills and are the consumers are not considered stakeholders. They don't have an interest, and their interests are not represented in these public meetings. And that was one of the things that's so dangerous and why it's been so neglected. I'd, I'd like to quickly add something here, because we've been beating up on the electric power industry, and they richly deserve it. But I really don't think, you know, they're one of the chief reasons we're still vulnerable to EMP. But the bigger and more important reason is... Frankly, I think we're in the middle of a civilizational crisis that, that most societies go through when it comes to our governmental elites. And, 
And we can see this manifested, in, for example, in, in the incredibly incompetent response of government to the coronavirus, all right? You know, we've invested decades and billions of dollars, supposedly, getting ready for biological warfare. And I would have said, hey, when a coronavirus comes along, we've invested decades and billions, so we're going to be able to handle the coronavirus with no problem. We even have a Center for Disease Control and a National Institute, and we even have a, a, an, a, 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 a secret, an assistant secretary of defense responsible for biological warfare, right? And all of these guys failed catastrophically. A, an intelligent high school student would have known to stockpile ventilators, and masks, and have pharmaceuticals, right? But none of that was done. What happened? You know, well, inside the Beltway, studies passes for taking action on things. And so, and promoting yourself so that you can have new organizations and get a bunch of senior executive service pe uh, people who get higher salaries, you know, the money, the money goes into their pockets. The money went into their pockets, and it didn't go into preparedness. And that's happening with EMP. You know, it's been a year after President Trump signed his executive order, more than a year, and they haven't done anything except studies. They, they want to do studies that are unnecessary. They've been done before. And I, and I, I think, Notably by the EMP committee. Right. Isn't there also, I keep going. I, the contrast, contrast the government we have today okay, with the government we had in the Great Generation, all right? The Great Generation that managed to pull itself out of the Great Depression and won World War II and invented the atomic bomb and invented nuclear energy and built a national highway system and sent a man to the moon. You know, the difference between that government, all right, uh, that, and, and the government today, how, how, what has changed in our, in our civilization, in our government, that it used to be super competent that it was able to do those things. And what we've, well, I think it's the same thing that happened to the Roman Empire. You know, you started off with a, a Roman Empire that was run by generals and statesmen and people who understood power and knew how to use it and uh, did practical things for a living. And then you got a bureaucracy. And when you get a couple of generations into their, that bureaucracy, these people didn't know how to run a business or uh, they, didn't, they were not generals. They didn't know how to do anything except the kind of thing that bureaucrats know how to do, which is to protect their own interests and to, uh, and to hide under their desks so they can evade responsibility for anything. And that's what we've gotten now. We're two or three generations into an administrative state, all right, that is so incompetent, you know, that they can't even handle the coronavirus or make a website for Obamacare, for example, as we remembered last year. And, and the rot is even creeping into the Department of Defense, where we have a, a nuclear arsenal, for example, that is virtually obsolete, you know, compared to what the Russians and Chinese and our adversaries are building. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Dr. Peter Vincent Pry and Frank Gaffney, and we're talking about the electromagnetic grid or the electro electromagnetic pulse, um, EMP, and the problem, once again, with the deep state in protecting us from that risk. It's just another, another, uh, another nail in the coffin of the deep state, I would hope. Right, well, across the board. More likely a coffin. Probably a nail ours. in our coffin. <laughs> That's right. But just, yeah. just to develop They'll this, be fine. They'll be Just to develop be in this. Wyoming. No, they'll be dead too, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. But uh, the point is, when Peter and the commission and others of us who've been raising the alarm about this have asked the question, Bill, don't you have children? Don't you have stakeholders? Don't you have clients? Don't you have customers? Don't you have people that you want to assure survive? And the answer, of course, is whether they're government bureaucrats or whether they're electric power utilities, 
executives? Yes, they do. And yet the inertia or the simple disregard or the intention that it'll be somebody else's problem, it won't happen on my watch, I'll just muddle along, is so profound. And I just want Peter to tell you a story about something that happened back in June of 2015 with a guy who was coming to a, a, a meeting that Peter was addressing that we sponsored in Iowa. And he had a chance to give him a briefing and tell him what the conversation at the just, end just of that Just to set the stage was. of it, though, this commission's been stood up twice. I mean, there was a commission for about 10 years, been from, when was the first one? Yeah, it was from 2001 to 2008. And uh, then from uh, after that, I established the EMP task force to sort of be a placeholder, you know, which isn't the same thing as a commission, okay? And then we were around from 2016 until 2017, again, when we were reestablished. And now that the commission has gone out, you know, basically the EMP task force continues to try to carry on the commission well, without the resources or powers. You've got it. some very serious and and uh, and thoughtful people involved in this. This is these are these are these are experts. Oh yes, they're the. They're, it was the greatest concentration of expertise on EMP, nuclear weapons design, the operation of critical infrastructures in in the free world, and uh, and that's just another example of incompetence that both the Department of Defense and the Congress didn't see the value in continuing the EMP commission and keeping it around. And then 18 months later, we have a presidential executive order that says, you shall protect the country. And Congress agreed with it. And then passed President the Trump. Yeah, President Trump. But you just have to understand and, and, that backstory yeah, I want to hear of the story all of the alarms what, that were yeah. raised and the fact that they were resisted so assiduously by yeah. the deep state, by the electric utilities, well, informed uh, a conversation that you had with a fellow by the name of Donald Trump. Yeah, that's in right. In June of 2015. <laughs> I, I owe that to, to, to Frank setting it up there, so that it, I had an opportunity. This is the very same Donald Trump. Providential. Yeah, when he was, before he but became then, president. not even a candidate at that point. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, we, uh, I, I had an opportunity to brief him for 45 minutes on the EMP threat. He hadn't heard of it. You know, but he was intelligent enough. He understood it. He could see what an existential threat there was. And he asked me the He's question. He's a builder. Right. You know, he knows from infrastructure. He asked me the question, well, how come, you know, the government has allowed this vulnerability to continue? How, how, is this, how, how could this be acceptable? And I explained to him that, you know, the problem is, is the, prob the threat was so significant that nobody wanted to take responsibility for it. It was so big. It cut across so many... Uh, responsibilities that nobody wanted to take responsibility and for. nobody had the mandate nobody and nobody had the mandate so the department of defense for example you know would say well an emp from the sun is a natural threat so that belongs to the department of homeland security and that's not our responsibility the department of homeland security would say well an emp can be caused by a nuclear weapon or non-nuclear weapons by terrorist attack and so that's a dod responsibility and the department of energy you know that is responsible for overseeing the electric grid would say well, this isn't, uh, you know, national security isn't our problem at all. You know, so it belongs to somebody else, not us. And, uh, and uh, then candidate, you know, Trump said to me, uh, uh, after I gave the explanation, he said, well, uh, don't worry, Doc. When I'm elected president, I'm going to knock their heads together, and we're going to solve this problem. And he walked away very confident about that. And basically, that's what his executive order does. It's an excellent executive order, and it basically... Uh, does knock everybody's heads together. All the relevant departments and agencies are on the hot seat together to work together to solve the problem, and he doesn't trust them to solve the problem. 
The White House, the president himself, through his national security advisor, is responsible for basically running the program and seeing the country get protected. And every year they owe him a progress report under his executive order on how far they have come. Now, they are so bad that they, in the first progress report was due March 26th in 2020, one year after the executive order, and they didn't even do that, which is why I wrote my book. It's my progress report to the American people on how the deep state is failing them and is slow rolling and sabotaging the president, president's executive, uh, the president's executive order. He also did another executive order uh, just earlier this year in which he said, we're not going to allow foreign governments to be integrated into our grid. And we talked about the Electric Power Research Institute and the Edison and Electric Institute. they're still Institute. getting funded to the they're still 30, getting 40, funded, 50% But it's worse than that, Bill. China. We've learned that not only are the Chinese yeah. and the Russians and the North Koreans and the Iranians able to use cyber to penetrate and manipulate and possibly weaponize our grid against us, but we've actually been buying some of these critical high-voltage transformers from China and putting them into the grid. Again, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, and the SCADA systems too, you know, the, which are the control systems, and they're just as important as, uh, as the big so transformers. So we're as dependent on the Chinese here as we are, say, in the show my, uh, you and I did with Rosemary Gibson on our dependence on them for our drugs. Not quite as, but Not quite as. to the extent we have any uh, vulnerability, it's insane. I, we're... I think we could talk about this for 12 hours, but I've got a time limit. Let's switch to China and what they're doing, what their plans are, and the smaller state actors that have ability to make things happen. You mentioned special operators with something in a, a small, a small arm, uh, uh, small armament could set something like this off. I mean, what's the risk from without? We've got risk from within. Obviously, the deep state, et cetera. Yeah, the, the risk threat from non-nuclear EMP weapons is, uh, uh, is even greater, much greater, obviously, than the threat from a nuclear EMP weapon because many more bad actors can get their hands on non-nuclear uh, EMP weapons and, uh, and devices. There are, there are devices that are available on the market that are made by U.S. manufacturers. One of them is called the, uh, the EMP suitcase, for example, and it looks just like a suitcase. It's not intended to be used as a weapon. There are legitimate purposes for some of these for these EMP things. For example, the EMP suitcase it puts out 100,000 volts per meter, you know, over a short distance, out of, out to a couple of hundred yards, uh, and it's used as a diagnostic device. For example, when you're laying out at an airport, you don't want the radars on the control tower to be too close to the runway because it can fry the electronics in an aircraft and possibly cause a crash. And so, before you lay out the airport, you know, you can use this suitcase to figure out how far do things have to be spaced apart. Now, the manufacturer never intended it to be used as a weapon, but a, a, a madman, a criminal, a terrorist, we've arrived at a place technologically where one, a, per, a single individual, you know, who, who had the money to buy this thing, and you don't need a license to buy it. Anyone can buy one. You know, you could put it in the trunk of your car, drive up to an EHV transformer, just wait till the sparks and the flames start, then drive off to another one. And if you if you destroyed enough of those EHV transformers, you know there was a who manufactures this? Uh, a, the the group is called American Electric AEC. I think is the uh, next thing you're going to tell me. You can get it on Amazon. Probably can actually. <laughs> I have in my book Blackout Wars. I have a uh, I have a picture of the thing that's taken from their advertisement for the uh, for the uh, for the EMP uh, uh, for the EMP suitcase. 
uh, but there was a could, unclassified could study. This, this is yeah. it is criminally irresponsible oh, yeah. for this not to be something that has to have some kind of restriction on access. Peter's been warning about this for some time, and and I'd rather you don't tell the next story, Peter, because it's evidence of the grievousness of our vulnerability. But the point is, responsible people are on notice of these vulnerabilities from the president on down. The fact that we're even having this conversation, Bill, honestly, 20 years or so after I first got exposed to this with Peter, among others, helping, is, is just it's one of the biggest indictments I can think of of our country because it's a knowable problem. We have plenty of evidence of it, and it is a fixable one. Peter's yes. given you an estimate of what it would cost. It would be lost in the noise. I mean, think about it. We spent $700 billion in a stimulus package back in the Obama years. We've spent, God, I've now. lost track of how many trillions no, we've spent lately lost track, yeah. for a fraction of that cost. Well, when you think we could have been taking this cutting, problem off we, the table. We shut the entire economy down because of this Corona-19, yes. which is a trivial risk when you right. compare it to the, what we're talking about. What we're about. talking about here, right. But this one does, has never enjoyed, despite Peter's best efforts, and those of the commission and others of us, it has never enjoyed the kind of popular yeah. sustained focus. Though I will tell you this, the number of people that I have come across, and Peter, this is no knock on Peter's extraordinarily important body of work, but Bill Fortune, in a book which has the foreword from Newt Gingrich called One Second After, has created an awareness across this country that I'm, I find all the time because people come up to me and say, oh, you know, I read that book. Everybody in your audience ought to make it job one to read Bill Fortune's book because once you've read it, you can't ignore this problem any longer, and you can't well, accept the excuses that are made. Peter Vincent Prize book first. That's the, no, the, that's, that's, that's second. That's the second. <laughs> Once Bill's got him, he'll they'll read the okay. rest of it. Yeah, I hope Bill Fortune's book, uh, you know, becomes the equivalent of Rachel Carson's Silent it Spring. Be. Really, you know, which so it's, so it's, really it's William Fortune. Fortune, yeah, Bill Fortune, like the magazine. Right. right. No, no. Uh, F O R T S. C-H-E-M, And as a matter of fact, there's a okay. story behind that, too, because Bill Fortune at first didn't want to write the book. Right? You know, the reason Bill Newt Gingrich asked him to write the book is Bart, Congressman Bartlett and I briefed him on the EMP threat. And when uh, Gingrich... Newt. Pardon? Briefed brief Gingrich, right. And, 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 and he, be, he became an EMP warrior with us, very concerned about it, racking his brain. What can we do, you know, to try to get the country protected? And it was Gingrich's idea ask Fortune as a novelist to try to educate the American people by writing right. a, 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 a novel about this that would describe the threat realistically. A fictionalized and, account, but very great. So this is a fictionalized right. account of what yes. we're talking about right now. And he read the EMP Commission reports and used yeah, the EMP Commission reports. What's the title of the book? I just oh, one, one Second, second after. after. One Second After. Yeah, yeah he used the, the, the EMP Commission reports to inform. Now, the left is so dishonest, okay, you know, uh, that the EMP Commission has sometimes been criticized as, you know, claiming that, oh, uh, our claim, for example, that 90% of the population could die from starvation is derived from Bill Fortune's book, which was published in 2009 after the EMP Commission was terminated the first we're, time. We're running out of time now, but I think we're going to have to 
do another show because we've also got the whole politization, politicization of this issue yes. where you've got the deep state, it was Obama and the Obama holdovers that have basically been trying to sabotage what Trump's been, been uh, yeah, doing with his executive order. This, this goes back and to what I said is, earlier. This is, uh, this is crazy. This I mean, is everything, not, everything this is not a political issue. It doesn't matter... If well, this goes be. down, whether you're Republican or Democrat, liberal or you conservative, can be equally dead. you will be equally dead. Your children will be equally dead. Right. And one of the things, if I could just put in a plug for work we've been doing as well, securethegrid.com okay. is a project that Peter has been very, very involved with from the get-go. It gives a lot of information, practical information, about how people can help um, fix this problem. And I commend that to them as Where well. Where can we find that? Securethegrid.com. Okay. Every and we can find all we can find you and all of your books on Amazon. And yeah, where right. else can where else can you have a website that we can go to? Oh, we do, but I don't remember the website. We'll, we'll I'm, get a, it I'm a yellow pad generation one, guy. One, volunteers, I have I have like 100 volunteers that work for the EMP task force and they insisted that the EMP task force should have a website. But unfortunately, we'll, I, I, we'll do, I've we'll, never we'll do your website. We, we, you know, we, we just rolled out a new <laughs> website, and we have an interesting people section where we have a web, we have a page for all of our guests, Good. and so you can give us your list, and we'll get make sure it's on there so people can learn learn more about what you do doing from there. Uh, final thoughts, Frank? You go first, and then. Well, my final thought is this, Bill. Um, first of all, thank you for devoting your time issue. and attention to this. Yeah. If you do another show on it, uh, all the better. But yeah, this one too. this one should be a wake-up call. And all I'm saying is, against the backdrop of what we're seeing in America now, imagine what it would be like if, for example, those electric grid operators weren't at work, let alone if things were taken down. All of these are real-world problems that could be incalculably devastating to our country and to our population, and we can fix them. But we need to get about it. I agree with Frank. We can fix it. The question is, will we? It's a question of political will. And I'm, I'm very much afraid we're running out of time. The sun isn't going to wait forever. China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. I've never seen the country so, so threatened from so many directions. And when you combine that with the chaos on our streets, I'm afraid that to our adversaries, America looks a lot like 1968. You know, when most, most historians agree, oh, that was course. the when we lost the Vietnam War psychologically. Yeah. I mean, the temptation of, of us, uh, uh, you know, challenging China and the South China Sea, Russia's designs on reconstructing the Soviet Union, the United States still not militarily recovered, and our nuclear deterrent, it's never been weaker compared, compared to that. The, the stars are not well aligned to uh, delay protecting ourselves from this, from now, this existential threat for much longer. We, we have senior Democrats, including the minority leader of the United States Senate, Chuck Schumer, saying he's going to cut 10% of the Defense Department budget. I mean, talk about inviting yeah. aggression at this very moment. And yeah. this could be the precursor, according to their doctrine, of such an attack. Okay, well, Frank Gaffney, Peter Pry, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. illuminating and, uh, and more to come, I hope. Anyway, thanks for watching The Bill Walton Show, and uh, we will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. 
If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.